I'm turning this morning to Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3 once again, and we'll be looking primarily this morning at verses 1 and 2. Ephesians chapter 3, focusing most of our attention this morning on verses 1 and 2. Now, we read through the entirety of the chapter last week as an overview, and we went over a number of the uh, verses and summarized them and broke them into sections. And this morning, I'm going to draw our attention really to uh, one thought and one expression today. Ephesians 3, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Spirit writes these words, For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. It seems as a strange place to stop. You can see that verse 2 continues on for a number of verses, and I'll make reference to those in just a moment. But I want to call your attention to that very first verse. And that phrase that Paul speaks of himself. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. These thoughts of the Apostle Paul arrested my thoughts this week. Uh, My intention this morning was I set out last Sunday afternoon and set out into the first part of the week saying we're going to cover verses 1 through 8 this coming Lord's Day. And I didn't get beyond verse 1. Because I was taken by Paul's words that we so easily run through, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. The thoughts that Paul introduces here are interrupted with verse 2, which is really not a thought that goes along with verse 1 in a a sense. But you'll notice that at the end of this section, you have to drop all the way down to verse 14. Paul says, for this cause, it's the same way that the chapter begins, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that takes place between verse 1 and verse 13 leads Paul to say, I bow my knees. As we come to consider this third chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians, there's nothing as important as context and setting. The Apostle Paul was always a writer who wrote, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he was also very logical. He was very, he was very direct. He was very pointed. Very few times does Paul's mind wander into a different direction to where he begins speaking about something, and then suddenly he digresses into another direction. And yet, that's exactly what Paul does after he states, I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse 2 begins a digression. He moves off of what he was getting ready to talk about and he starts speaking about something else. Not to be humorous this morning, that's never my intent. But Paul, we might say in our modern terms, he goes on a bit of a rabbit trail, but this rabbit trail is very, very profitable. 
The thoughts that are introduced in verse 2 continue all the way through the end of verse 13 before Paul picks up again his original intended thought that started in verse 1. The mind of Paul always worked logically. He wrote logically. But when we consider the context of what Paul was talking about here, Paul says for this cause. Now, again, we cannot just take Scripture and think that the book of Ephesians begins in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul's been speaking about many things in chapters 1 and 2, and we went over that last week about the great doctrines of grace, the great doctrines of salvation. And then Paul, again, the chapter divisions were added by translators at a later date, and many times they are helpful, and we're not, we're not discounting that. But most likely, this was one continuous thought. Paul did not end chapter 2 and say, okay, I'll take a break and I'll pick up chapter 3 another day. It's a continuous thought and he says, for this cause, everything that I've said to this point, for this cause, I, Paul, he identifies himself, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. We're not surprised when we see Paul use the terms the apostle of Christ. We see Paul use terms like the servant of Christ. We see him use terms like the bondservant, but the prisoner, the prisoner of Christ. Paul had been apprehended for the cause of Christ. He had been a prisoner numerous times in his life. He was made a prisoner for Christ because he preached Christ. He preached Christ's gospel. And he preached it faithfully. He was not a prisoner in any of his prison terms for a capital crime. He was not in prison for theft. He wasn't in prison for breaking the law, as it were. He wasn't in prison for murder. So Paul writes about his prison terms and he writes about his bonds. He wasn't ashamed of them. It might be a shameful thing should be a shameful thing if we commit a crime and we end up in prison for it. We, we ought to be shamed. We ought to have shame about, I did something wrong. I, I violated, I broke the law. Paul is never once ashamed for being in prison for preaching the gospel. He glories in it. Now, brother, I have to tell you this morning, that's, that's where this really got tough for me this week. And again, I don't do this very often. I'm going to try to keep my person, I'm going to try to keep my person out of this. But I want you to keep in mind, he gloried in being a prisoner. He gloried in the fact that he was not ashamed that he was in prison for preaching Christ. He wasn't a prisoner for violating man's laws. He was a prisoner of his Savior. We learn that even this, from this epistle and from the other letters, some of what we consider to be the great servants of God throughout history, some we read about in the Scriptures, others we read in Fox's Books of Martyrs, we read about those who suffered ultimate, the ultimate price for the cause of Christ. We see often the people we hold up as being the best of God's servants find themselves in a prison cell. Which could lead us to ask the question, why would God allow people who are serving the Lord so faithfully to be prisoners? Paul understood what he was writing about. 
The people in Ephesus knew what he was writing about because it was very common that people were put in prison. I would tell you today, most of us in this country don't know a single person who's in this country in a prison cell for preaching Christ. Not for that alone. Paul was in a prison cell solely for preaching Christ. That's it. That was his crime. And yet it was so profound to the Ephesian believers there that Paul had to digress into this teaching about being a prisoner and go further on it because he was afraid of something. He was fearful that the Ephesian believers would grow discouraged by his bonds. And that they would begin to ask the very human question, why does God allow his people to suffer? Every one of you in this room has asked that question. Why does God allow me to suffer? And yet Paul never once says, I'm suffering, please pity me. No, he says the exact opposite. He says, my suffering is for your glory and for even a greater glory, the glory of Christ. Paul would often speak of himself even as a prisoner, even when he wasn't actively behind a prison bar. But notice that as we learn this epistle and we learn and think about those over the years who have been put in prison for simply preaching the Christ, this was meant to engage the attention of the Ephesians, especially since he, as he's writing to them, is writing about his afflictions and him being a prisoner. But then notice he says something that often we race by. He says, I am the Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. This is not a light statement. Because what Paul is saying is, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not only for preaching Christ, but for preaching Christ to the Gentiles. The Jews in that day especially would forbid Paul from preaching Christ to the Gentiles because they did not believe that the Gentiles were worthy of God in any way, shape, or form. Paul could have preached Christ to anybody else. He could have preached Christ unto the, unto the other Jews, and they would not have been nearly as incensed as they were when Paul says, I preached Christ unto the Gentiles. That is the hinge that this entire thing swings on as to why Paul is enduring what he's enduring. Paul not only preached that Gentiles might be saved, but through his preaching to the Gentiles, he taught them that circumcision and the rest of all of the ceremonial laws in which the Jews believed were the means of bringing people to God. He says, none of that is the means. It is Christ. And Christ alone. The Jews of Ephesus in particular were very agitated by what Paul would preach and what he would say. Mobs would raise up against him and they would put him in prison for his ministry. He became a prisoner for preaching Christ and specifically preaching Christ to the Gentiles. He was a prisoner. He is saying, I am a prisoner for your sake. 
Now let that, just let that resonate in your mind just for a minute of the self-sacrificing attitude that Paul had. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ because he's worthy to be a prisoner for. And it's so worthy that I'm willing to endure this for your sake. Not the sake of himself, but for the sake of others. Paul said, I gladly am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, we won't deal so much with it this morning, but we do see that in verse 2, he makes mention of the dispensation of the grace of God. That word dispensation has nothing to do with time. It has to do with stewardship. If you've heard of the stewardship of the grace of God, the doctrines of grace, the gospel, the subject matter of what God's grace is, Paul is declaring here that it is the free grace of God in Jesus Christ that is the sole reason that man is saved. It is the grace of God that is the means of conveying this grace into the souls of the depraved sinner, into the heart. Paul says, I had this stewardship given to me. He didn't take it. He had it given to him to preach the word. Paul was acting by authority when he wrote these words. Now many at Ephesus, no doubt, heard, pre heard Paul preach. We're told in the book of Acts that Paul was with the church at Ephesus at least for three years. There were some who had heard Paul preach for three years consistently. And yet Paul knew that his Suffering, his afflictions, his prison sentence would lead some of those Ephesian Gentiles specifically to start to wonder why. Paul does not take for granted when he says, if you have heard. One thing a gospel preacher can never do is assume that you've heard. I cannot make an assumption today that you've heard about the gospel of God's glorious grace. I can't just assume you know the truths and you know the things we're talking about. If you've heard about this stewardship, he says, and he's talking again about his authority that was given to him by God. If you've heard about this, look what Paul says, the reason why he was given it. Of God, which is given me to you word. We would not use those terms in our English language to say it that way, but he says, this has been given to me for your sake. I have been entrusted, given the stewardship over this for your sake, Gentiles, that you will know. Now, Paul, of course, throughout the entire book of Ephesians, and again, it's been a couple of years since we went through the entire book, but everything that Paul has been expounding to them, everything he's been teaching them, everything he's been preaching to them about leads him to suddenly stop and say, I, Paul, the prisoner. But he no sooner gets those words out of his mouth that again he seems to be taken over by the reality of this prisoner, this suffering. What it is to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul declares that his, his, his bonds and his prison bars and his prison terms were for the sake of someone else. 
I don't want to get too far ahead. But Paul understood something about affliction. He understood something about suffering. Maybe it's right to interject it here. Our suffering, our afflictions, and our trials and our tribulations are not for the sake of us. They're for the sake of someone else. This is a hard truth that I have had a really difficult time this week swallowing. Because I know in my afflictions and probably in your afflictions, the question isn't whose sake are these for, but rather it's why me, Lord? Why me? Paul never says, why me? He says all of these things are for the sake of someone else. Friends, I think it's only when we begin to understand that that's the reality of which Paul was speaking about. We will never understand suffering, trials, and afflictions unless we understand God's purpose in allowing sufferings and afflictions. Not actually allowing them, but even commanding in His Word that all who live godly in 1 Timothy will suffer persecution. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's a when. So the question isn't, why me? The question is, this suffering is for your sake. Paul declares understanding he's an ambassador of Christ. He understands that not only is he an ambassador, he's an apostle. Remember, some question Paul's apostleship. Did he have the authority to say the things that he said? He had a commission from God himself to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul really does not get back on track what he intended to say until he gets to verse 14 when he revisits for this cause. And then he goes on in the remainder of chapter 3 of telling them how he's praying for them. In other words, from verse 2 to the end of verse 13, we have a digression. It's, he's digressing away. We might call it a parenthesis. He's talking about one thing and he has an intent to say one thing and suddenly something stops him and he says something else. Now in this digress, digression we'll look at over the next few weeks, Paul begins to give an account of his own ministry. He begins to talk about what happened, how that the revelation was made known unto him, the mystery of Christ he talks about in verse 4 talks about how it was not revealed in the same way and as clearly as it is now. But verse 6, and when we get to this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel, that alone, brethren, infuriated the Jews that the Jews would have to even consider that the Gentiles would be partakers of the same promises. Now that might not make, think you say, why would that make them so mad? Yet to the Jewish mind, that was, as, that was as bad as it gets. It'd be like saying a Samaritan is a partaker of the promises of God. In this digression, Paul, you'll notice that he gives account of his calling. He talks about the object and the purpose of why everything's happening and yet we still are brought back to this question. Why did Paul digress so suddenly? What moved him 
to not return back to his intention until he gets to verse 13. Well, we're given a little bit of a hint in verse 13 when Paul says, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you. Notice this. Another, this is another part of God's word really, really hard to take in and digest. I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul sees it. This is what he's talking about. This is the reason for the digression. The digression is for the fact that he did not want them to faint at his tribulations. I don't want you to become downcast and discouraged by what you see happening to me. Again, I say in our American churches, we don't fully understand this yet. Friends, we are not yet seeing in an overwhelming manner pastors and preachers being yanked out of pulpits and thrown in prison for preaching Christ. Now, I will tell you, everyone, and if I was sitting where you're seated today and I was listening to a man, man open the word of God and preach and the authorities broke in and drove, drug him out and put him in prison, you think for a moment we're not going to say at least briefly in our mind what in the world is happening? Every one of us would say, this can't be so. What crime has that man done? He preached Christ to the Gentiles. Make no mistake about it, it's going to happen in this country. It's going to happen and you need to be prepared for it. It's going to happen. You may not see it. It may be our kids. But there's going to come a day the authorities are going to come to the door of every single church preaching Christ and they're going to round them up and they're going to say, stop preaching Christ. Paul says, don't feel sorry for me. This is for your sake. How many preachers of the gospel have that attitude? I'm willing to suffer for your sake. Listen, I know how important it is to stand up and preach the gospel. I believe those of you know that my heart is that we ought to hear the gospel every single time we're assembled. But when the threat becomes real, that this might cost you your freedom, it might cost you your liberty, how many people are still going to be standing preaching the truth? How many churches are still going to be standing after that starts happening? Not as many as you like to think. I pray to God this one is. But I am not going to stand here and tell you in some arrogant, pompous way, let them come because I'll stand. It's easy to say it when they're not at the door. We're all real tough spiritual believers until the suffering actually hits. And then the first human instinct is, why me? And the question shouldn't be, why me? Why not? Because if you're preaching Christ, you're, you're to expect it. You're to expect trouble. You're to expect trial. That's what Paul wanted them to get. He didn't want them to grow discouraged when they read his letters from prison. He desires that they faint not. In other words, the reason that Paul digresses is one of the most glorious things Paul could have possibly done. This demonstrates Paul's love for those people. 
I don't mean any disrespect by when I say this, but anybody can stand up and preach a sermon. You may not believe me, but you can. Anybody can do it. It's a whole other thing to preach a sermon with real love for the people you're preaching to. It's not the same. There are guys that are theologically strong. Their homiletics are right. They can preach the doors off the building, but they don't love the people that they're preaching to. Paul's preaching the same message in prison that he would if he was standing in a pulpit because of his pastoral heart towards those people. That's what Paul's doing here. This is, the, this is the heart of Paul the pastor. It's so convicting even to my own soul about the things that Paul writes in this chapter that we read through and the prayer that he has for his people knowing I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Again, you don't see Paul setting out here to write a commentary. Commentaries are great. Commentaries are helpful. I love them. But that was not Paul's intention in Ephesians 3 was to write a commentary. However, there's probably no epistle in all the Word of God that you're going to find more theology and more doctrine than you will in the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians is not about here's a commentary for you. Or here's a, a book that you can make study notes off. Paul was talking about a very real circumstance in his life. Now, if your doctrine is sound and your theology is right, then it is going to be able to be applied to your suffering because you're going to have a right view of what's going on in your life. See, this is all about Paul viewing sufferings properly. That's where our problem is. We don't view our sufferings and our afflictions properly. We're viewing them through the lens of self, not through the lens of the glory of Christ. Paul, because he had that heart for the people, he knew these Ephesians would be troubled by the fact that he was a prisoner. When he wrote this epistle, he was a prisoner, and he knew perfectly well that they would be troubled, they would be concerned. Not only would they be concerned about it, they'd be very anxious by the realities. What's going to happen to Paul? He knew that his own sufferings and his tribulations as a prisoner might become a stumbling block to others. Folks, I, I got convicted again thinking about this. You know, how we handle sufferings and how we handle tribulations can, can become a stumbling block to someone else. How we view what God is doing and what God allows in our life can become a stumbling block. You're going to really know what you believe when you lose your liberty and you lose your freedom for it. We don't know that yet. There's brethren all around this world that do. There is a very real persecuted church. There are very real people who've had their elders yanked out of pulpits today. I promise you it's happened at least once in this 24 hour period. All for doing nothing they were not calling for a rebellion against the government. They were doing nothing more but preaching Christ. And it's coming. Paul 
understood what this could cause them to think. Remember all the great truths that Paul had actually taught and think about all the great wonderful truths we hear in Scripture about how, how the Lord cares for us. Even Jesus' own words that if He cares for the sparrow, how much He must care for you. Then if He cares for me so much, then why am I suffering? Right? <laughs> if I'm of so much more value that He knows me so well that the hairs on my head are numbered, then why am I suffering? Paul's viewing it through the right lens. And that's what I hope that through our study we're actually going to see this. Paul wrote in the book of Romans about nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Perils and trials and tribulation. We're more than conquerors through him than through Christ. Yet why is Paul in prison then? Paul showed these glorious truths in what it looked like in a believer's life, but now he's a prisoner and he's suffering. So the next question we have to ask ourselves then is, does God allow and why does God allow his people to suffer like this? Is that what real Christianity is? I would submit to you that it is. Real Christianity is not the carnival and the circus that the church has become. That's not Christianity. Not when you read of people who have actually given their lives for the cause of Christ. The pulpit was not meant to be a place of entertainment. The church was not meant to be a place that you come and be entertained that your attention is kept. It's a place that the church gathers together to be equipped and edified and reminded of the realities of this world. And to preach the whole counsel of God means brothers and sisters, you've got to be prepared for affliction and struggles and trials in your own life. It's not just for the preachers. Paul knew Christian people would have questions like this. Paul, that's what leads Paul to pray that great prayer, not because of its content, but because of his focus from verses 14 to 21. It's all in the context of what Paul's been saying about suffering as a prisoner. Paul knew that it would mean nothing if they doubted the realities of Christ because of the suffering he was enduring. There have been more than a few that have renounced their faith when their spiritual leader was jailed. Who said, I was never a part of that to begin with. That, no, I wasn't a part of that. The reality is, it happens. It happens all the time. It happens all around the world. But Paul knew that if they doubt my suffering, it'll lead them to doubt the whole thing. They'll doubt the realities of what it is to be in Christ. Folks, I will tell you, and I will say from, from my limited experience, I do not speak as an expert, but I will tell you over the years that I've attempted to pastor people, Nothing has caused people, believers, to stumble more than suffering. 
The question of why. It's not even the question about their own salvation that I get the most. It's why are bad things happening? And sadly, because we're afraid of the God of the Bible, we have said things like this. When bad things happen, don't worry, brother or sister. God was not in that. That is not sound biblical counsel. To disjoint, disconnect God from his own sovereignty. Paul was not in prison outside of the sovereign will of God. Yet it can be a stumbling block. How many hymns in a year does this church sing about the sovereignty of God? How many of these hymns speak about God's sovereignty? And we sing them with joy and we sing them with triumph. But then we ask ourselves the question, what does that mean with my suffering? We like the God that is sovereign in all the good things. We as Reformed like the fact that God is sovereign in salvation. We drive that one home like a hammer. But talk to your average, regular, even Reformed person. Okay, what denomination they are. Reformed Presbyterian, Reformed Baptist. See if there is gung-ho about sovereignty and suffering. You don't get the same response. Paul understood that this was a potential problem. Whatever persecution, whatever affliction that they were dealing with and that he was dealing with, he's teaching the Ephesian believers how to reason through it. How do I think through what should govern my thinking as I go through affliction and I go through struggle and I go through trial? Sadly, what normally governs our thinking is self. How does this hinder you? Not how does this glorify God? How is this hindering me? Paul is not facing this with a question or a statement. I have a sign in the basement of my house that I see every day. It simply says it is what it is. That's not what Paul was saying. Right reasoning with suffering is not, well, it is what it is. That's what Christians should expect. It is what it is. That's not what Paul's doing here. It's, it's the Christian martyrdom syndrome that says, well, I can't do anything about it, so I might as well endure it. Paul is actually rejoicing in being imprisoned and he's teaching them that you should rejoice in your own afflictions. The Christian life is not walking around with long faces resigned to the reality that it is what it is. Paul's facing this with a, a courage that's only given to him by God. Paul is triumphant. Paul is rejoicing in this. Now, we know that Paul is not just stating that it is what it is, because remember, Paul wrote to Timothy, and I already referenced this verse, yea, and all that will live godly, that's the key, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Another verse taken out of context. 
Hey, it says every single church member, every single Christian will, will suffer persecution. No, he says all that live godly will. There's a big difference. To live out real Christianity means you're going to suffer. You say, Pastor, we'll never draw a crowd with that. It's never been my intent. That's what Paul told Timothy. Timothy was prone to be fearful. That's why Paul tells Timothy a number of times, fear not. Timothy was prone to fear. That's the biblical truth. What about what Peter says? 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Some of us have heard this verse so many times, and yet when it comes to our own life, we have struggles with it. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing, something you can't identify, you don't have an answer to, happened unto you, but rejoice... Here's the key that unlocks it. Inasmuch as he are, ye are partakers, rather, of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, he may be glad also with exceeding joy. And then just to make sure it's driven home, Peter says, if ye be reproached, now watch specifically, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken, but on your part, he is glorified. Again, look what Peter was saying. If you suffer reproach for the name of Christ, happy are you. Now there's the essence of what Paul is teaching. Paul wants these Ephesians to look at his imprisonment and his sufferings in such a way that they will see the glory of Christ shining through it all. We have to be able to see the glory of Christ. Paul begins to give us the answers to why am I here? Why am I a prisoner? What's the explanation? Well, our our hint is given in that very phrase that we started with. I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul was not an ordinary, everyday prisoner. Paul has already solved the problem of why he's there. If you give me just a few more minutes. I'm going to bring this to a close, but I want us to get this point. We're not nearly as far as I want to get today, but we're going to finish it next week. Paul already solved the problem as to why he was afflicted, why he was suffering. He's already answered the why. He's not a prisoner for breaking the regular law, the law of the land. He's a prisoner because of his stand for Christ. Paul was not wrong as a prisoner. Now the evil people would walk by and say, there's that wicked Paul. He's in jail and he deserves to be in jail. Why? What crime has he done? According to the law of the land, nothing. He's not, he's not violated a single law. Same held true for Jesus Christ. What law did he break? None. He even, he even he, he kept all of the law perfectly. 
Yet what law did he break? Well, they accused him of blasphemy. Was Jesus Christ guilty of blasphemy? No. Was he equal with God? Absolutely. He claimed equality and he was equal with God. I and my Father are one. But Paul solves his problem. He's not in prison because the Roman Empire was oppressive. Our preachers that end up imprisoned in this country are not going to be in prison because of the oppressing United States government, Russian government, whatever government it is, Chinese government. They're not imprisoned because of the might of the empire. They're imprisoned for the cause of Christ. Folks, that's the essence of what Paul is teaching here. It's reasoning as a Christian, not thinking like the rest of the world thinks. Folks, we have to learn through Scripture to govern our minds to think properly on the things of God. So many of us, we are driven by our feelings, our emotions, and what should be, what must be, and why it must be, instead of realizing that if you are going to be a Christian in this world, a true Christian who's going to live godly, you have to expect this. This is Paul's way of putting it. I'm not in prison because the Roman government overthrew me or overcame me. I'm not like other prisoners who are in this jail cell because they're in here for some crime. I'm in prison because I'm a prisoner of Christ. Have you ever thought about how glorious what Paul's statement, I a prisoner of Christ Jesus, really is? I honestly have to tell you, up until this week, I had never really parked on this long enough to see the beauty in it. What a tremendous thought this is. Have you noticed that everything that Paul says about himself is him speaking about the truth of who Christ is? He's the apostle of Christ. He's the servant of Christ. He's the bond slave of Christ. He's the minister of Christ. Those are all titles that he takes, but then he says, I am a prisoner of Christ. Everything that Paul states in this study and in this chapter here is in relation to Christ and because of Christ. And he doesn't hesitate to say, here's why I'm here. I'm here because I preached Christ to the Gentiles. I wish I could claim this phrase, but I can't. Paul is saying, I am in prison because I am in Christ. There's not a statement other than Scripture, I think it sums it up better than that. Paul figured out the why. I'm in prison because of I'm in Christ. He is Christ. He belongs to Christ. This is probably maybe what Paul said to himself. Think about who Paul used to be. Would Saul of Tarshish have been imprisoned? Saul of Tarshish went from town to town, dragging people who were of that way. The Roman government didn't mind him. The Jews loved him. Absolutely loved him that Paul was rounding up those despicable Christians. So why was Paul in prison now? Because of one event. 
an event on the, on the road to Damascus. When Christ saved Paul. Paul was not looking for Christ. Paul was not seeking salvation. Paul was seeking blood. And Jesus Christ, Paul or Saul, saw why kickest against the pricks. He was gloriously converted. Paul was in prison because he was in Christ. Paul could have said, by human reasoning, you know, if I wasn't in Christ, I wouldn't be in this prison cell. But he doesn't say that. I rejoice in my afflictions. Why could he rejoice in his afflictions? Because to be in Christ is the most glorious truth you can possibly know. An absolute fact, Paul says, if it wasn't for my conversion, I'd be a free man. He's willing to give up his freedom. He's willing to give up his liberty for the cause of Christ. How willing are we? Is Christ really our all in all? Could we really say with the Apostle Paul, Christ is enough? When persecution comes to this land, real persecution for the name of Christ, there is going to be a great purging. I heard recently, and again, I'm not being political today, and that's not my intent. I heard someone say recently that COVID was the great purger. <coughs> it might have been a preface, but it wasn't the great purger. If you left the church over COVID, you probably weren't in Christ to begin with. Well, that's not nice. That's truth. All it did was it may have purged out those who were not in Christ anyway. But that's nothing compared to the persecution that's coming. We'll look back on this if we're alive to see the day when COVID was nothing but a little blip. Oh, that was not persecution. That was not overstep. That was nothing compared to the persecution that's coming when they drag one of us out that front door. Now, there were preachers that were... They were taken out of their churches over that. It's just a foreshadowing of the persecution that's coming. And Paul says, I rejoice to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, for your sake. We'll pick up again next week. Let's pray together.